as some of you know, I uh, ventured back to Ohio to help uh, finalize the different stuff of my father's estate. The house, going through that, making sure we had everything out that we wanted. Because after that, they were going to tear it down and build a fire department there. And as I was back there, I uh, uh, was just reminiscing about different things. Uh, photos would remind me of stuff, uh, my experiences there. And although I only was there until I was five or six years old, uh, there, were, there were a lot of photos there that brought back different memories and recollections. Uh, there was one story that I remember that my grandmother told uh, to me that when I was uh, two years old, the terrible twos, and uh, I was uh, in our den in the house, and I was trying, I think we had company over, I don't know, I'm trying to remember the story that my grandmother told me, but in that situation, I was very adamant about touching this lamp that was in that, that living room. I, I wanted to play with it, apparently. And uh, my mom was telling me, no, don't touch. And I tried again, no, don't touch. And she kept on repeating that. And after like a number of times, I guess, of hearing no, I finally turned around, put my hands up in the air. I went, no, 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 no. And just walked around and went out of the room and I was gone. I wasn't too happy, evidently, with the response that I, I wanted from my mother. You know, our, our journey, some of you know our journey to Happy Valley Evangelical Church. It was some journey back in 2004. And, uh, and in fact, actually, one of the first messages that I preached there at the church was uh, when God says no. And we were dealing with some, uh, some uh, re uh, difficulties in our lives as far as um, when God was telling us no at that situation at uh, Labish Center, the church before Happy Valley. And we'd been there at that church, our first ministry and youth ministry, for 13 years. And that's the, that's the families we knew, that was the lifestyle we knew, that was the, the networking, everything, connections, all that. And it was coming to an end. And uh, in January 2004, God said no to us continuing there at that church. And that was a difficult uh, thing to have, thing to receive um, when God was saying no to that. And so we felt like maybe there would be possibilities of, of a lot of different avenues. Do we, do we need to continue on in ministry? Now, I have a teaching background. Maybe I can teach math at a Christian school where Becky was teaching as well, too, there in Salem. So in the spring of 2004, we had some options, I guess. And we thought we had some options before us that we could maybe venture out and do. And each of those options that we laid out before God, God said no to those things. He kept on telling us no, no to teaching no to an assistant pastoring for me. Uh, no to a lot of the different directions and avenues. But he continued to usher us this way towards Happy Valley, which we are so thankful for. We're thankful for being able to minister at Happy Valley for 16 years now and just enjoy, enjoy you guys so much and, uh, and able to venture this, uh, um, this life together. But God told us no in that situation, and that was a tough no for us at that moment. Um, I, I imagine you've probably come across some, some situations where God has told you no, and, and you, were, you were thinking, this is it. This is what I need to be doing. And God said, nope, I got another plan for you. I imagine also, too, that a lot of us possibly, possibly wanted to do some great things for God. 
We want to do some great things for him. And at some point in our lives, maybe, maybe uh, ventured in that direction, thinking this is what I needed to do. Maybe there are a few of you out there that would imagine being a world-famous evangelist, possibly, proclaiming the good news to thousands, you know, the next Billy Graham, possibly. Or we may, may aspire to be great Bible expositors, um, holding people spellbound with our oratory skills. I'm still hoping I can be like that. Maybe we will be uh, the next uh, Mother Teresa, possibly, bringing care to the sick and needy. Now, David wanted to do something really great for God as well. He wanted to build a glorious temple for the Lord. But in this passage that we're going to be looking at here today, he is surprised to discover that God's plans for David are far greater than David's plans for God. That's, that's the message I hope you get today. That God's plans for you are far greater than your plans for God. God's plans for you are greater than your plans for God. The question I suppose that needs to be asked and we need to hear and be prepared to answer, are we prepared when God says no to our plans? Are we prepared? We're going to look at a passage today uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, where we're going to discover God's answer to David's plan. David had a plan. And God answered that plan. He responded to that plan. And then we're also going to see David's reaction to God's plan for David. And we should gain a pretty good example on how to respond when God says no to our plans. Now, I've asked a, a special guest to read the scripture for us today. And I trust that you will enjoy the reading and enjoy a time in God's Word by uh, this one person who's going to share Scripture with us. Hello, friends and family at Happy Valley Evangelical Church. Just wanted to talk to you all, say that Megan and I love you, we miss you, and we hope that this finds you safe, healthy, and more in step with the Holy Spirit than ever. Today's scripture comes from 2 Samuel chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Now when the king was settled in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, the king said to the prophet Nathan, See now, I am living in a house of cedar, but the ark of God stays in a tent. Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that you have in mind. For the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord. Are you the one to build me a house to live in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent and a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about among all the people of Israel... Did I ever speak a word with any of the tribal leaders of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep to be prince over my people Israel, 
And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the names of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may live in their own place, and be disturbed no more, and evildoers shall afflict them no more as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come forth from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will punish him with a rod such as mortals use, with blows inflicted by human beings. But I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. May this be instruction for the people, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have wrought all this greatness so that your servant may know it. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is no one like you, and there is no God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. Who is like your people, like Israel? Is there another nation on earth whose God went to redeem it as a people and made a name for himself, doing great and awesome things for them? Amen. By driving out before his people nations and their gods, and you established your people Israel for yourself, to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, as for the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, confirm it forever. Do as you have promised. Thus your name will be magnified forever in the saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel. And the Lord... And the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made his revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God and your words are true. And you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore... May it please you to bless the house of your servants, that it may continue forever before you, O Lord God. 
have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. This is the word of the Lord. Now, a message from your local preacher. Thank you, Zach, for sharing that scripture with us. I trust everyone enjoyed our guest reader for scripture today. I asked him to do that and thought it would be a, a nice little pleasant surprise for everyone. Anyway, thank you, Zach, for reading scripture. Being a man of war and a very courageous warrior, David was often involved in battle and stressful situations. It seemed like there was a time when he was either fighting against the Philistines or dealing with a jealous and crazy King Saul. But now there was a moment of uh, there was a moment of calm and quiet in his life, a time when things were were peaceful. And first of all, David had a a peace that was kind of a domestic type of peace. I mean, his household was peaceful and calm. Uh, there was no crazy King Saul trying to pin him to the wall with his spear. There was no drama to deal with on a regular basis as before. And secondly, David had more of a, a, a national rest and peace. Um, it was kind of unknown to David because he was usually fighting Philistines or fighting against uh, King Saul and all this. But no more conflicts with his enemies. The Philistines weren't bothering him. There were no giants taunting him. And uh, there were no cities to invade. So David probably begins to reflect upon his life, how he got to this point, and finally having God's presence back with his people as the ark stays in the tent nearby. And David reasons that the ark needs a better place to be kept since God's presence is there. So he shares his ideas with Nathan, a prophet. And this is the first time we hear about this guy named Nathan. He was David's close friend. He was a prophet who would later be the one who called David out as the king who committed adultery. But for now, he's David's counselor as David calls him in and tells him about this idea. So in verses 2 and 3, it says, He said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. And Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. What a great friend. Uh, Nathan encourages David to follow through with his plan. You see, David was bothered by the fact that the Ark of God was in a tent while he lived in this beautiful home. So David had the idea of building a permanent place for God, where all the sacred furniture would also be kept as well. And David wanted to build a temple in God's honor. Now remember, uh, David didn't have an ulterior motive here. He he wasn't selfish. He didn't have a selfish ambition. Uh, there was no desire to make a name for himself either. He just wanted to glorify God in building this house. Now, it's during the, the, the pauses of life that we have time to seize a dream or an ideal goal of some sort. Life has kind of slowed down a bit, and I'm sure it has been, been slowed down for you, especially. And some of you... Uh, some of you in a quiet moment of your life realized maybe the profession that God was calling you to. Maybe it happened at a camp or a retreat where you threw a branch of promise into the fire or, or literally drove a stake into the ground at that camp, having determined a goal to follow. And maybe it happened in the quietness of your own room after a church service. Uh, maybe it was while you were a college student in your dorm room. 
You couldn't go to sleep, so you turned through the scriptures and landed on some thoughts that began to make sense. And before long, they directed you towards some new and exciting goal. And you said, that's it. That's my commitment. That's where I'm going. It's in the pauses of life that those kinds of things happen. And you have to slow down and become quiet in those special times to hear his voice, to sense his leading. And sometimes the dream is from God, but sometimes it's not. Both are honorable. Both are great choices. Both are ideal. But when it's not of God, it won't come to fulfillment. And you know, it shouldn't. And it's often hard to determine which is which. It's very hard, in fact. You'll, you'll, have, you'll have friends like Nathan. You'll have friends like Nathan who will say, Go, do all that is in your mind, for the Lord is with you. Only to have God show you later that it's not his plan. And that's exactly what we have here with David. Now look in verses 4 and 5 at God's response to David. But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? And also in 1, Corinthians, 1 Chronicles chapter 17, uh, verses 3 and 4, it says, But that night the word of God came to Nathan, and, and it says here in that portion of Scripture, he says, this is what the Lord says, You are not the one to build me a house to dwell in. Pretty straightforward. What a difficult message to give to David. Nathan had to do this. And not long before, Nathan told David to go for it. God is with you. But Nathan wasn't listening to the right voice. It wasn't God's plan for David to build a temple. It was a great plan, a great idea uh, on David's heart. But it wasn't God's plan. And there are moments when we assume that just because something sounds like a good thing, it must be what God wants. You look back at the time when Samuel was directed by God to choose the next king. He went through Jesse's sons. Actually, he saw Eliab and he goes, that's got to be the guy. He's, he's got to be the guy. And it was not Eliab. That was not in God's plans. God said no to that. He had something better in mind. David, bringing the Ark of the Covenant ark out of, uh, out of its resting place into Jerusalem. And you remember what happened there when he, he, he did it in the wrong way. He didn't follow the rules that God had placed there. And this poor guy who thought he would stable the Ark from falling off the cart, he was killed. He was put to death by God. So David thought, great idea to bring Ark in uh, to Jerusalem. But God said, no, not that way. He had a better plan. We need to remember that when God says no, God's plans for you are far greater than your plans for God. When God says no to David, he tempers it with very gentle words that are designed to soothe the heart of David. Now look at these words in verses 8 through 11. God's no was tempered by God's provisions. God's no was tempered by God's provisions. Instead of allowing David to give to him, God turned everything around and gave to David. He reminds David of his great grace in taking him from leading the sheep. God in his grace took a nobody and made a somebody out of him. And God tells David that he has made him a celebrity. Everybody knows who David is. God's no was tempered by God's provisions. 
And if you look in verses 11 through 15, we see here that God's no was tempered by God's promises. David had a desire to build a house for the Lord. But God tells David that he, God, is going to build David a house. God promises David that he will have a son, and this son will walk with the Lord, and he will be treated as a son by God. And he will be established in his kingdom, and he will be humbled when necessary. God's no was tempered by God's promises. And then in verses 16 through 17 in this chapter, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, we see that God's no was tempered by God's plans. God's no was tempered by God's plans. God is saying here, David, you want to build me a house, but I'm telling you that I am going to build your house. I will establish your throne forever. What a promise. What a promise that God had for David. God's no was tempered by God's plans. Remember, God's plans for you are far greater than your plans for God. And there are times we've asked God and we've been turned down. Prayers for healing, prayers for better circumstances. Lord, take this virus away and let us get out of the quarantine. Uh, all these different things, uh, maybe for burdens to be, be lifted, for opportunities to happen, prayers for a new job, prayers for a relationship, prayers for a child, for a status, prayers for financial assistance, maybe even prayers for emotional stability. Uh, all these things coming together. We've prayed before, and sometimes God has said no. How do you respond? How do you respond when God says no to you? Look how, how David responded in these next few verses, verses 18 through 29, this prayer that David says. We see here, first of all, his response that David sat before the Lord with a humble heart. Remember, this is a, this is a man after God's own heart, as was mentioned before. David sat before the Lord with a humble heart. David, he wasn't, he wasn't a perfect man. He made many mistakes, but one thing about David is he always knew his place. Saul became proud because of his position as king, but David never suffered from that same disease. He kept a humble heart. And listen to the very first words David utters as he sits before the Lord. He says, Who am I, sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? Many men, hearing of God's promises of greatness for them, may become pretty prideful, but not David. Who am I, he says. David sat before the Lord with a humble heart. David also sat before the Lord with a worshipful heart. In verses 22 through 24, now look at David. He's, he's just received God's gracious word of promise. God is going to pour out his blessing on David. He's going to make David's name glorious. And where is David? He's sitting humbly in God's presence, giving all glory back to him, back to God, worshiping God. This goes hand in hand with humility. For David, it was all about God's glory. What a powerful moment this is. What, a, what an incredible statement of praise David offers to God. Even in this moment, of what must have been a, a time of, of huge disappointment for him. David sat before the Lord with a worshipful heart. And if you look at the other verses here, 25 through 29, you also see, too, that David sat before the Lord with a 
submissive heart. He sat before the Lord with a submissive heart. Look at the words in verses 25 and 29. Those words that just describe his attitude before God. Whatever God decides to do, God, uh, David submits to it. And here David abandoned his own plans. David had a great vision of building a glorious temple for the Lord. A great idea. What a noble endeavor. Even Nathan's heart leaps for joy at what David has planned. Finally, we have a, a place to, to have God's presence be in. He is thrilled that the nation has a king whose heart is so devoted to the Lord. But who could argue with such a plan as building a temple for God? And as soon as David hears the word of the Lord, there is no argument. There is no attempt to somehow reason with or persuade God. You know, God, maybe you, you, you didn't quite hear me. I'm going to build you a temple. He didn't rephrase it. He goes in and he sits before the Lord and says, Not my will, but yours be done. David sat before the Lord with a submissive heart. So after David's prayers, after his prayers, what did David do next with God's no? We can find the rest of the story in Paul Harvey's style from 1 Chronicles chapters 21 and 22, as well as 28 and 29. It, it's, it chronicles those events that happen that we are seeing here in First and Second Samuel, as well as 1 Kings. And so as we look at it, if you take a look at those chapters in 1 Chronicles, you get to see David's reaction, his response to God's no as far as what did he put in action. It's one thing to say, okay, I trust you, God. Uh, you are one in charge. And if we don't back up our words with our actions, then we're just saying words. David backed up his words with some actions. If you take a look at First Chronicles in those chapters, you'll find this, that, that the building would go on land that David had purchased. You also find that David negotiated and supplied material for the building project. You also find, too, that David drew up the temple plans, and David financed much of the building himself, and David also planned out the services and the workmen that were going to be part of this temple. He also, too, when David gave more, the people gave as well. Now, even with all this preparation, it still took David's son Solomon seven years to actually build God's temple. And Solomon took David's vision of a temple and got someone to design it. David raised the money to build it and enlisted the aid of his allies. Now, think of a moment. Think for a moment, actually. If David had built the house himself in his time, you think it would have been as, as incredible, as glorious? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. The pressures of battle might have hindered him to complete such a task. He was a warrior. He had battles to fight. And if something were to come up, that would interrupt the building of the temple. Now, let me just stop right there and encourage anyone here today who is listening, who is experiencing a no from God. You're going through life right now and you're thinking, I've heard no, and it's very disappointing. Let me give you some encouragement. You know, when God says no, realize he already has a better way and he expects us to support it. Look for the yes behind the no. When God says no, it necessarily doesn't mean that we have sinned. Some people take a, a no from God thinking, oh, that must have been a, a wrong thing to, to do, or, 
or it's a sinful thing for me to want to do that type of thing. It's not God's judgment that is coming upon David as a consequence of wrong. It is simply God's redirecting David's plan. It is not that we have done something wrong when God says no to us. God is just redirecting your plan. When God says no, realize that he doesn't call everybody to build temples. God has all kinds of creative ways to use us. Ways we can't even imagine, certainly can't even see up there around the next bend in the road. Not everyone is called to the same kind of jobs, but rest assured, he has a specific job for you and for me. With your skill set in mind and with your giftings in mind, God has a special job for you. And he's trying to work it out. Also, too, when God says no, our best reaction should be what we saw here in David, should be humility and cooperation. He doesn't call everybody to build the temple, but he does call everyone to be faithful and obedient. Now, some of you watching today might be living with broken dreams. Sometime in the past, you had high hopes that your life would go in a certain direction. But the Lord, for some reason, has said no. And you've moved along in life, and now you're up in years, and you find yourself slowly becoming shelved or replaced. And the younger ones are taking charge and moving on. You missed out. Just about that time, we get our act together. We're too old <laughs> to pull it off. But it takes real humility to say to the Solomons in our life, Go ahead. I will give you the support to succeed. Go ahead. This was a plan that I thought would be great. God has rearranged it, has redirected it, and has thought best for someone else to, to, bring, it to bring to fruition. So in order to say to the Solomons in our life, go ahead, I will give you the support to succeed, we need to respond in humility and obedience and cooperation. And realize also, too, that God's no is not a rejection, but a redirection. It's not punishment. It's preparation. And God's no will eventually bring greater glory to God. In 1902, a woman by the name of Adelaide Pollard was hoping to go to Africa as a missionary. And despite her best efforts, she was unable to raise the funds needed to make the journey. And in her great discouragement, she attended a prayer meeting. And as she sat there in that prayer meeting, she overheard an elderly woman pray. And this is what she prayed. She said, It really doesn't matter what you do with us, Lord. Just have your own way with our lives. And those words burned into the heart and mind of Adelaide Pollard. And she pondered those words. It really doesn't matter what you do with us, Lord. Just have your own way with our lives. Before she went to bed that night, Adelaide Pollard wrote four stanzas of a poem that you might recognize as a hymn. First verse says, Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will, while I am waiting, yielded and still. And the second verse says, Have thine own way, own way, Lord, have thine own way. Search me and try me, Master, today. 
whiter than snow, Lord, wash me just now, as in thy presence, humbly I bow. Now here, here are five things. I believe Jesus, if he were standing right here with us, would tell us to do. If he's standing right there with you, this is what I think Jesus would tell us to do. And there's one thing I want to make sure you leave with today. There's five things that Jesus would, would tell us to do if he were standing right with us here today. I think he would say, don't beat yourself up when I show you a different path. Don't beat yourself up when I show you a different path. There is nothing wrong with wanting to honor God. But we can only honor God if we are doing what God wants. <laughs> if we truly want to honor God, we will be thankful when the no's come our way. It means his loving guidance in our lives and that he will do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Don't beat yourself up when God shows you a different path. I think also Jesus would tell us, share your ideas with other godly people. Share your ideas with other godly people. You know, the person who truly wants to do the will of God will not be afraid to listen to other godly people. So often when we get it in our heads that God wants us to do something, we're kind of afraid to get other people's opinions because they might talk us out of doing what we think God wants us to do. David listened to Nathan. He approached him for advice and he was willing to listen when Nathan came and said, my advice was wrong. God has another plan for you. This is not to say that we always need to do what others say. But if we are afraid to speak up because they might not approve, then we're not looking for confirmation. We're just looking for approval, no matter how wrong it might be. So share your ideas with other godly people. Another thing I believe Jesus would tell us, if he were standing right here with us, he would say, approach me with a humble heart. Approach me with a humble heart. You know, hum humility spells out of, uh, spills out of David. He says, who am I, O Lord God? What more can David say to you, he says, to make your servant know it? The word it there includes both the rebuke of David's desire to build the temple as well as the promise of an enduring kingdom. David does not mind taking a no if it is the will of God. We have a, a greater problem. If we say publicly something is God's will, and then we find out it isn't, <laughs> we feel like we, we lose credi credibility with other people. We lose face. We, uh, we're embarrassed. David rejoiced in God's correction here, in keeping him on the right road, and on his blessings that were revealed. We need to approach God with a humble heart. Also, I believe that if Jesus were standing right here, he would say to us, love my people. Love my people. The people of Israel are God's chosen people. He loves them. And we have to understand that though the people of Israel are God's chosen people, the only ones who find favor with God are those who have faith in God. The nation of Israel can sin against God. They can make bad decisions. God has always been looking for people of faith. In the New Testament, and also in our day, 
God has opened the doors for both Jews and Gentiles to enter into his family. He sent Jesus to die for our sins so that those who trust in Jesus would find uh, their sins forgiven and have new life and be brought back to God. Christ loves the church. He loves, loves the church and he gave himself to it. He is working through the church to achieve his plan today. And the person who wants the will of God will not only love God, but they will love the church. They will identify with it. They will work with it and be committed to the people of God in fulfilling God's mission for the church on earth. We need to love God's people. And the last thing I believe that Jesus would tell us is just this. Be content. Be content. David is content. His plan is not going forward. His son will be the one who builds the temple of God. David is ecstatic that his kingdom will go on for future generations. God has promised that blessing, that blessing on, on the house of David, and David is truly excited about God's plan. So David, David's pretty content. It is important that every once in a while we sit down, like David did, Take a long look at our short little lives and just count our blessings. Count them, naming them one by one. It helps us to be content. And the one thing I believe that uh, I, I, I believe we need to come away with, the one thing I want to make sure you leave with today is this. It's the phrase I've said before. God's plans for you are greater than your plans for God. God's plans for you are greater than your plans for God. I mean, what life's dream, what, what career goals or family plans are you beginning to see will not be accomplished by you? Is there someone else who, who will see those plans to completion? Is it a spouse? Is it a, a child, one of your children? Is it one of your grandchildren or great-grandchildren? I know for me that as Becky and I um, promised that this marriage, this relationship, our marriage would be the beginning of a spiritual heritage for our family. And we know that that won't be carried out just by us. That will be carried out by our kids and our children's children and their children and on and on. And great things are going to be done by God. I know that. It might not be by me. But I trust that God will do some great things through our children and through our children's children and so on. Remember, God's plans for you are greater than your plans for God. And do you identify with David a little bit? Did you have your hands full of your dreams and your visions, ready to present them to him on the altar of sacrifice? Did you have your plans all prepared and thought through, only to see them kind of crumble at your feet? And now you're standing there, empty-handed. All plans are kind of crumbled out of your hands. God is ready to fill your empty hands like you would, you would never believe. And if you will only lift them up to him in obedience and praise, as David did, God is still alive and well. And he knows what he's doing. <laughs> the question is, do you trust him? And what a timely message, appropriate message for this time, these days that we have. For such of us, uh, 
dealing with situations that find us uh, confined in our homes during this quarantine. There have been numerous events that have been canceled, causing dismay and discouragement. And you know, the two types of people that come to my mind are those people who were planning a wedding and those people who are high school and college seniors who had plans for their last moments of school. Those seniors in high school and those seniors in college. Talk about opportunity for bitterness, opportunity for anger to just kind of well up. But also consider the great opportunity for a witness to God's plans for you being greater than your plans for God. What an opportunity to place your trust in a God who loves you, who cares for you, who wants the best for you. Never doubt in darkness what God has revealed in the light. If God is good, God is good all the time. Let's remember these things. Let's remember God's plans for you are greater than your plans for God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time together. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to our hearts about your message. And Lord, I pray that you'd be with that person here today who might be going through some struggles with uh, your no in their life. I pray, Lord, that they would approach you with the humility and with obedience and cooperation. Lord, help us to follow David's lead in this. And we recognize that uh, you know what you're doing. And that even though we might have plans for you, knowing that, that maybe there might be some great things we're, we're, we're trying to do. Help us, Lord, to submit that to you and allow your plans to overrule, recognizing that, again, your plans are much greater than our plans. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for, for speaking to our hearts. Encourage that person today that might be going through some difficult times. And I pray, Lord, that you'd each also to help each one of us to be... Um, messengers of hope to those around us, encouragement as well. And I ask, Lord, that you would just continue to remind us that you go before us and you are with us, Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you, Lord, for this time together. Thank you, Lord, for your, your guidance during this, uh, this time of, uh, of, of church here from the Steel Home. And I pray, Lord, that uh, whatever we do in the days ahead, that we would glorify you with all that we say and do. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.